This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started Self Work eight years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues, to those of you who might be looking for some answers, either in your relationship or personally or individually, but also to a third group of you who are pretty skeptical about this whole mental health treatment thing. And self-work will hopefully give you a very safe place to listen privately. And maybe, just maybe, it'll be helpful for you. I hope so. Today we're talking about transparency. Now, what does that mean? The definition is actually the quality of allowing light to pass through so that objects behind can be distinctly seen. So, being transparent, meaning allowing what's inside to show, is a choice. We get told all the time by people who want our trust that they're being transparent, right? But that's not often the case. And if you believe that someone isn't keeping secrets from you, and then they are, then you may set yourself up for hurt. I've said many times that trust is earned. So this is certainly not an episode about blindly believing in the transparency of those around you. Not at all. So what is it about? Today, we're focusing on your own choice to be transparent and how it can be important in your mental health, self-transparency. Think of it like this. If you put a lot of energy into covering up, into not allowing anyone to see your own struggles, there can be repercussions from that. You're living in fear of being known or being seen. And what are you so afraid of people seeing? What would have to happen for you to risk transparency? The SpeakPipe voicemail is from a listener who wants to know how she can determine her own diagnosis, if it's complex PTSD or borderline personality disorder. She's worried about her own kids, so I'll do my best to answer her. But let's say anyone who's concerned about their impact on their children already may have my vote as not having BPD. But we'll talk more about that dynamic. Let's start out the month with a word from AG1. If you've already worried about how you're going to keep your energy up during the holidays, then trying AG1 seems like a slam dunk to me. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, immune system support. I take it in the morning before starting my day, and I make sure and leave it out for my husband because he tends to forget. I love knowing that I'm starting my day so incredibly well, and I wouldn't change a thing because it's really helped me the last two or three years I've taken it. And here's a fact. Since 2010, they've improved their formula 52 times in the pursuit of making this nutrition supplement possible and the best it can be. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash selfwork. And that's a new link, drinkag1.com slash selfwork. Check it out.
When my now husband of 33 years introduced me to his parents as his fiance, I knew I had to be open. So I said, well, I want y'all to know two things because there will probably be a few jokes about it. First, I've been married twice before. They didn't blink, just kind of looked at me. So I continued, and my first husband's last name was also Rutherford, which was really pretty funny. They kind of smiled and probably thought that I was a bit odd. But my history was now out in the open, and I didn't want them to not know what others knew, even though it didn't make me look like a stellar candidate for marriage to their son. It's now kind of a funny story, but I can remember my heart was racing at the time for sure. Now, what I didn't know was that I'd married into a family that never talked about anything unpleasant, so I was already creating trouble, but I was just trying to be honest. Oh, well. And yet, so many of us, maybe you yourself, are afraid of people knowing too much about you or of sharing or revealing yourself for all that you are, both what your strengths are, what you're proud of. You might even have trouble doing this. How many times have I asked a client to name some of their strengths and they just look at me blankly? I'm not sure I have any. Maybe they were taught that naming your strength was somehow arrogant or impolite rather than a sign of confidence or competence. But sometimes, you know, it's just hard to say, yeah, this is who I think I am in front of other people. But so many of us fear being seen as less than if we reveal struggle, if we're transparent. So here are three major fears about transparency that I hear all the time. First, you can fear losing others' respect. You want to be seen, maybe you even need to be seen, as what your best traits convey, or what you're calling your best traits. You fear losing a sense of superiority or status. You want to be seen as the hero, the problem solver, the person who has answers, as if, and I say this very strongly, you believe or seem to believe that you earn others' respect by not having faults or struggles. Really? I would counter that those who know you well know your struggles, even if ironically one of them is to try and hide that you have any, and they respect you because you have earned that respect. I was working with a client last week who laughed and said she didn't think anyone could see through her masquerade of being fine. I gently reminded her that those who noticed that she never let on that she might be having a harder day could likely reach the conclusion that she simply struggled to admit it, if they give any thought to those kinds of things at least. So try this for me. Why don't you write down, or think about it if you're driving while you listen, the things that you respect about a couple of your friends? Now... Do you also know what they struggle with? Maybe, maybe not. But I doubt that any of those struggles would drown out your respect. Here's my major point. We are all ands. A-N-D-S. <laughs> what in the hell do I mean by that? Here we go. You are a great problem solver, and you can procrastinate. You're very kind, and you get overly anxious. You struggle with getting too angry. And you're a super friend. You get stuck in sadness. And you're very empathic with others. You are an and. We all are. You know this about your friends, your colleagues, your boss, your own parents, your siblings. So why do you fear others seeing you as an and? Maybe you know someone that doesn't fear this. They can laugh at their own and. <laughs> what do I mean by that? 
They can say, yeah, I can motivate others to get on board, and I'm a great organizer of other people. But when it comes to organizing my own closet, I'm a slob. Or, I'm a really good listener, but opening up to others, now that is hard for me. Or one more. I have so much patience when I teach my students at school, but when it comes to learning something myself, I get real defensive if I don't get it right the first time. You can hear these people admitting their struggle. They're seeing themselves objectively, and it's it's nice. So what are they saying? What I can do with others is one thing. How I am in relationship with other people is easy or hard, whichever one. But when it comes to my own behavior, my own attitude toward myself, then I'm not like that at all. We are a mixture of strengths and struggles. And so many of us fight relaxing and letting those struggles show or to reveal them in the first place. And I think that fear is based on irrationality, meaning if someone sees me struggle, I will lose their respect. If I admit struggle, I will lose their respect. I don't believe that. Most people don't have a hard time understanding that everybody has their struggles. Let's hear quickly from BetterHelp. Certainly being transparent in therapy can lead to a new sense of freedom. And after that, we'll hear about two more hurdles about being transparent. I recently heard a fascinating reframe for the idea of asking for help. Maybe you view asking for help as something someone does who's falling apart or who isn't strong. So consider this. What if asking for help means that you won't let anything get in your way of solving an issue, finding out an answer, or discovering a better direction? Asking for help is much more about your determination to recognize what needs your attention or what is getting in your way of having the life you want. Better help. The number one online therapy provider makes reaching out about as easy as it can get. Within 48 hours, you'll have a professional licensed therapist with whom you can text, email, or talk with to guide you. And you're not having to comb through therapist websites or drive to appointments. It's convenient, inexpensive, and readily available. Now you can find a therapist that fits your needs with BetterHelp. And if you use the code or link betterhelp.com slash selfwork, you'll get 10% off your first month of sessions. So just do it. You'll be glad you did. That link again is betterhelp.com slash selfwork to get 10% off your first month of services. So the first thing people fear is the loss of respect. And I hope that I've given you an argument somewhat against that, or at least you can think about it and see what you think. The second thing people fear about transparency is... And I quote, if I start feeling or admitting feelings that I've never dealt with, it'll never stop. Basically, if the dam breaks or the belief is, if the dam breaks, if I loosen how tight I have those feelings tied down, then I'll lose total control. Now, that sounds pretty scary to me, losing total control. But that's not what happens, especially not if you're working with a therapist who can help you sort out what you're ready to face and what you need to wait to talk about. Here's an analogy for you to consider. Let's think of hidden feelings, hidden experiences, whatever, that you're scared to admit or reveal. Think of them as having a magnetic force. Now, you can't see magnetic force, right? You can only feel its power. That's the kind of power that those secrets have. Their magnetism is affecting you every day. 
you're being pulled or pushed one way or another, but you can't see how that's happening. So you think you're doing fine. You've got things handled. But what's really happening is that you're being affected by forces you can't see. And when and if you risk allowing yourself to be more transparent about whatever hurt or pain or struggle you have, you get back your own power. You're no longer being affected by memories or feelings you can't see because they are right in front of you. You don't lose control. You actually gain control. That's a great step toward understanding your own fear of loss of control. You've got it kind of turned around. Secrets have power. The feelings around secrets have power. Now let's talk about the third reason why people decide that transparency isn't for them. What they say to me or to themselves is, too many people use their difficult pasts to remain a victim, and I refuse to do that. Good. (laughs) Refuse to do that. But that's not your only option. That's too black and white. What you're saying is, either I'm a victim of my past or I'm a hero in my present. That's either or. Let's go back to our and. Yes, I was victimized in my past. Someone hurt me. Someone abused me. Someone neglected me. And I'm going to have compassion for that hurt, for that pain, and do the work, do the self-work I need to do to free myself from my own prison of silence about it. My past doesn't define me simply because I talk about it or admit it. In fact, if I talk about it, or even if I reveal current struggles, I'm saying I'm not a victim. I'll model for others that the decision to reveal a secret can lead to freedom and a safe emotional space. Now, choosing to be transparent can feel like a risk, and it's important to risk certain things with people who've earned your trust, not hand someone who's going to manipulate you the tools or info to do so, so pick carefully. But if you choose to risk transparency, whatever your mental health battle, whether it's anxiety or depression or PTSD or bipolar disorder, whatever your struggle is, what do you gain from risking? First, you'll get respect from others by being all of who you are, not just the part that you're telling yourself is better or somehow acceptable. Just like many of you have written to me, saying that my own transparency about my panic disorder has helped you, then that can happen to you. Second, you won't lose control. You'll gain control because you're no longer being influenced by forces or hidden emotions that you cannot see. And three, you'll find true self-acceptance. And my working definition of that term is knowing that neither your strengths nor your vulnerabilities completely define you. I'll say that again. Self-acceptance is knowing that neither your strengths nor your vulnerabilities completely define you. And when you find that out, when you can walk around no longer afraid that someone will see something you don't want them to, that's freedom, glorious emotional freedom, because you are an and. You're this and you're that. You're the sum of your experiences and your learning. So maybe what you could do when you get home or, or wherever you are that you could take some time to do some writing, journal about what your own ands are. I am this and I'm that. Not but. I'm not this but I'm that. And I am this and I'm that. Think about your friends. What are they? They are this and they are that. I think it can help you to truly 
reach self-acceptance no matter what your mental health or emotional struggles are and realize that that self-transparency is helpful and leads to real self-acceptance. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Let's listen to the voicemail for today. Hi, Dr. Margaret. Can you help me understand how I know if I have developed CPTSD from a borderline mother or if I have developed borderline myself? I'm a middle-aged adult and I'm concerned about the effects on my children. I know that I have been emotionally unstable in the past as I married a abusive man uh, who's the father of my children who were married for 20 years. As I said in the intro, the fact that this listener is realizing that her children may have been impacted painfully by whatever abuse they experienced in their childhoods, as well as wanting to figure out if her own struggles with emotional control had been hurtful to them. Just the fact that she's asking that question may seem to point more toward complex PTSD than borderline personality disorder, but we may be splitting straws here. Let's talk about the two. Borderline personality disorder is a personality disorder and belongs in a cluster of disorders where there's significant emotional dysregulation in relationships, meaning that someone has very limited ability to cope with their strong emotions. So there can be lots of volatility and drama and chaos. When they're sad, they're extremely sad. When they're angry, they're extremely angry. Yet many people feel that underneath borderline personality disorder lies a history of trauma, although that's not spelled out in the actual criteria. Now let's talk about PTSD. What is happening in PTSD? It's the re-experiencing of a traumatic event, meaning that you see it happening. You think it is happening again because you're triggered by something. You involuntarily and vividly relive the traumatic event in the form of flashbacks, nightmares, repetitive and distressing images or sensations, physical sensations such as sweating or pain, feeling sick. You also can have avoidance and emotional numbing. So you avoid people or places that remind you of the trauma. You avoid talking to anyone about your experience. This can lead to isolation, withdrawal, whatever. Then also there's a hyper arousal or feeling on edge all the time, irritability, anger, sleeping problems, etc. But what has to happen here is that this trauma has to be outside the normal experience of all of us. So let's say you gave birth to a child, but you nearly died in doing so. That would be an unusual trauma. Now, with complex PTSD, you add on these symptoms, feelings of worthlessness, shame, or guilt, problems controlling your emotions, there's that emotional dysregulation again, finding it hard to feel connected with other people, and other relationship problems. So it bleeds into your relationships. Now, I will tell you, I've never seen anybody with severe PTSD who didn't have problems with some of these things. But I think this diagnosis has come into existence because of psychology wanting to honor more chronic abuse rather than acute or a sudden kind of thing like a tornado where you're at war or something like that. It can be caused by reoccurring or long-term trauma like childhood abuse or neglect, domestic violence, sexual abuse, torture, sex trafficking or slavery, and war. So the basic difference between CPTSD and borderline is that, by definition, CPTSD is caused by trauma. 
what this listener seems to be asking at her question's most basic level is, can my mother having BPD cause me to have CPTSD or could I have learned BPD from her? The answer to both of those questions is yes. Having a parent with the problems associated with borderline personality disorder, suicidal gesture, frequent suicidal threats, impulsivity, emotional reactivity, lack of empathy, fear of abandonment, all those kinds of things, anger regulation. Of course, growing up in this kind of chaos with a person that's supposed to be taking care of you can serve as the basis for early trauma and the beginnings of CPTSD. Remember, one of those symptoms can be an inability to stop or escape the trauma. But it's also true, as Christine Lawson states in her wonderful book, Understanding the Borderline Mother, certain children may learn these behaviors from their borderline parent and unconsciously mirror their behavior so that it becomes habitual for them. This listener shares with us also that she chose someone abusive and has stayed in that relationship for 20 years. That's also reflective of someone who chooses the familiar, which we all do, even if your familiar is chaotic. So, this listener is concerned she's reached middle age, which may mean her kids are young adults. She's concerned about her own emotional ups and downs and how they could have affected them. She doesn't say whether or not she and her husband have split, but that may be a factor as well. Whether or not he has any empathy for what their home might have been like for their kids, now adults. So, what would I suggest that she do? Ask. Take responsibility. Listen to their answers with compassion, not defensiveness. Most parents do as good a job as they know how to do given the circumstances. Some do not and are intentionally harmful. But this doesn't sound like the situation for this listener. So she needs to have a conversation with her now adult kids. Let them tell her what was scary for them, what made them angry, what made them feel unsafe. Take responsibility for it. The worst thing a parent can say is, well, I tried my best, or I hear you, but you don't know how, blah, 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 blah. Just say, you know, I can see that from your perspective, and I'm sorry. Great question. Thanks so much for sending it in. And thank you for being here as a listener. I've got kind of a cold today, so <laughs> I hope my voice wasn't so deep that it was hard to listen to. Perfectly Hidden Depression has gone into its eighth or ninth translation into another language. It's really phenomenal. You can get it wherever books are sold. But I also would love for you to subscribe to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. You'll get a weekly newsletter, which has this podcast as well as a weekly blog post and any other news or whatever I think is interesting. It's just one email, I promise. You can also join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I'd love to have you there. And I want to tell you 2024 is going to be the year that I really want to do a lot of speaking. So if you have a small group or a large group where they might be interested in hearing about mental health in the workplace or about perfectly hidden depression or perfectionism in general, Email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. But as we go into the fall, I so am an appreciative of you being here. Tell your friends so that they can become listeners of self-work. Again, my gratitude to you. Please take care of yourself, your family, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.